Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to the brand new season of Jazz Shapers in our 10th anniversary year, no less, with me, Elliot Moss. Jazz Shapers is where I bring to you the pioneers shaping the business world, together with the musicians shaping the worlds of jazz, soul and blues. And we've got typically risk-taking, problem-solving, inspiring, can-do guests joining us over these next few weeks. With me today, launching this season in style, is David Benningson, CEO and co-founder of Signal AI, a global artificial intelligence company. Working for his parents' executive search business, the MBS Group, David found himself spending hours manually curating stories for the industry newsletter. He spotted a gap in the market for a tech-based solution to deliver insight at scale. With data scientist and academic Dr. Miguel Martinez and tech consultant Wesley Hall, the trio founded Signal AI in David's garage in 2013. They're now one of the world's fastest-growing applied AI companies, analysing millions of news articles every day in real time improving business intelligence and decision-making. David Benison is my business shaper here, the first in this new season in 2021. And it's really fabulous to have you here. Thank you for having me again. Again, well, exactly. (laughs) I was going to say, so most people may not know that in 2016, you were part of a a new series at the time called Future Shapers because you were three years into your business and you you got to say, hello, I'm David Benison. This is Signal AI. And you went off like that. We've got a lot more time today. Tell me where this began and how a young person in 2013 decides he's going to go and set his own business up. I mentioned the inspiration for the idea, but loads of people, as I often say, have inspiration and then they don't do anything with it. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, you covered some of it in the, in the introduction, but it was in some ways a random confluence of different events you know i could give you the polished uh, venture capital pitch version. i don't i don't want that version because i know david it will sound amazing and it will make perfect sense Chap- chapter one this is what happened exactly what's but, the real but, story but, but i'll give you the the backdrop i i almost fell into the dark arts of law and i was studying that and practiced it very briefly after graduating and i think i always had a sense that that wasn't the industry or sector i wanted to end up in and it wasn't the right environment for me and then i had the chance to go and work for jamie oliver which was an incredible experience he was introduced to me by my mother of course which and, we'll come on to another yeah. <laughs> another jazz shaper it's a mother and son yes, first exactly exactly on, on jazz shapers. moira benningson for those yes, people who don't yes. actually but again i interviewed her in i think it was around 2016 as well founder of the mbs group which is an executive search and recruitment business exactly so all roads lead back to my mother of course but uh, they always um, do david yes <laughs> but she had introduced me to jamie oliver and i worked for him and i think that was the first time i'd been exposed outside of my parents who, who run a business together to an entrepreneur and I was totally enthralled by how he approached business and, and how he thought about creating value and, and building something and that was incredibly inspiring for me. And so I guess I was, I was seeking to do something myself and find an opportunity and, and the original genesis of the idea came through this experience I'd had working with my parents uh, at their executive search firm and this newsletter that they produced and, and sent out to clients for, for, I think, over 30 years now, which is very, very widely received. And the thing that struck me at the time was that some of the, the most impressive and powerful business people around the country were relying on this manually curated newsletter produced by you know, a relatively small executive search firm. 
and it kind of struck me that surely there was a better way to achieve what they were doing and to deliver kind of insights and intelligence to these business leaders to help them make better decisions. And so I kind of went on this journey and I, I by chance, met my co-founder, who's an academic. He was finishing his PhD in machine learning and artificial intelligence in the time. And we decided to start this business with a simple thesis that if we could aggregate the world's information that sits outside of an organization and be ambivalent about media type and modality and language and format, pull that all into a single platform, and then we could apply machine learning and artificial intelligence that could analyze this data and extract insight from it, we would be able to surface for business leaders insights that would help them make better decisions, get ahead of risks, spot threats, surface opportunities for them, and ultimately make them more efficient and effective executives. You mentioned the foray into law, almost, and you said, that's not for me. You started quite young, this mm. business, and you're young now still, but it was you're particularly young then. And your background before then, it was, I have all sorts of people I meet, and in the 10 years, it's a privilege to meet the people that have gone and done the Harvard route, and then Boston Consultancy Group and other consultancies, and then there's the people that left school at 14, and then there's everything in between. Immediately, I can see you're a bit of a renegade. You kind of, you know, you. some of my children like to dance to their own tune. I, it strikes me you probably like to dance to your own tune as well. Why do you think that is, David, if that's true? Yeah, I think I, I've certainly uh, had a bit of a rebellious streak when I was growing up. And I think that's in part shaped me as an entrepreneur and helped me be someone who challenges the status quo. You know, I think I probably get a lot of that from my parents and the context with which they they came to this country 30 plus years ago from South Africa, leaving a a very challenging political context and coming to London as as immigrants with very little. And I think, you know, a lot of peers of mine, other entrepreneurs actually have either are immigrants or have some sort of immigrant kind of genesis. And I think that that shapes a mentality actually as to the way you approach business and and that feeling that you have perhaps as an outsider who wants to change things and, and disrupt things. And so, yes, I've always had that sort of rebellious, kind of cheeky, rebellious streak within me. And, you know, I'm currently operating in an industry that's, you know, the distribution of information and intelligence to large organizations and business leaders is a well-established industry that's been around for, for decades, if not potentially even centuries. And and we're coming in as an outsider trying to change things and trying to challenge our clients and, and often going into very, very large organizations or governments and asking them and pushing them to do things slightly differently and to use and adopt technology in a very, very different way. And so I think that that shaping that I've had as a as a young person and that rebellious element to my, to my personality mm. has ultimately helped me in, in the way that we've taken the business forward. Now, you have taken the business forward significantly. 2016, when you're a future shaper, there were, I think, 50 employees in the business. You've got almost 200 now. Mm. You're in a few countries. There's governance to worry about. There's funders. You're funded to the tune of just under £40 million. The renegade in you, the revolutionary, the challenging the status quo person, critical that you do that. But how do you manage that with the day-to-day exigences of actually having to run a business and being very, very structured? Totally. And I I think you have to mature and I've had to mature as an individual, but also, you know, part of growing a successful business is surrounding yourself with great people. And and particularly in my context as a first time founder, and as you pointed out, someone who started the company at a relatively young age with relatively limited experience is surround myself with great people who have that background and that experience and that pedigree to help us grow and evolve and and mature the business. And that's both at an executive level, you know, the, the leadership team around me who 
you know, have brought a huge amount of knowledge and background to the company to help us grow and scale through to the board, you know, and I've added some phenomenal people, not just the investors that, that have put capital into the business, but also non-executive directors. So, for example, my chairman, Archie Norman, who's, who's currently also chairman of Marks and & Spencer and a, and a titan within UK business, and, and more recently, Sarah Wood, who's a phenomenal entrepreneur who founded Unruly Media and, and sold it to News Corp. And so I think it's about surrounding myself with that sort of calibre of people and then being very humble about what I don't know and deferring to, to their experience and knowledge wherever possible. Sarah Wood, previous Jazz Shaper, in fact, a few years ago. And I think Saul Klein is one of your investors and indeed yes. he was on the programme in the last season. So you're in good company, David Benison. Staying, <laughs> He's with me for the rest of this Jazz Shapers programme because it's about him and Signal AI. Stay with me here on Jazz FM to hear much more from him. Right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Derez, Tom Grogan and Alistair Moore discuss artificial intelligence and machine learning. That's lucky, isn't it? It's relevant. Stuart <laughs> Silver, producer extraordinaire. They're going to be discussing artificial intelligence and machine learning, their possible application and the key things for organisations to consider when seeking to implement them. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. How are we seeing organisations leverage their data and how can we help them? So AI, you know, the umbrella term artificial intelligence has been on the radar for most companies across all industries, but it's difficult for you to know exactly where to start. You often need help navigating the different technologies while having the confidence that they're going to maintain their legal and regulatory compliance you know, and upholding your company's digital ethics in some sense. And when I teach uh, technology on the master's or the MBA program at UCL School of Management, I start by getting managers and executives to break the problem down. You know, what are the inputs? What are the outputs? What data are you trying to collect? Where is it stored? One of the main management challenges is starting to think about these systems probabilistically. How wrong could the answer be? How frequently could you get the answer wrong? But still, on average, it provides utility. Most management education isn't really geared to this. And so starting to be able to think creatively is often useful in trying to identify where machine learning opportunities lie within your business. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. All our former Jazz Shapers can be enjoyed on the Jazz Shapers podcast, and you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget Moira Benison's The Mother of David Benison's version as well back in 2016. Alternatively, if you've got a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers, and there you'll find a taster of our recent shows. But back to David, CEO and founder of Signal AI, a global artificial intelligence company improving business intelligence and decision-making. I love it when I say those things because it sounds like a blah, 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 blah. In your own <laughs> words, give me like one or two examples of the kind of work that you're doing right now. You can either name the clients or not. I really don't mind. But just to give a sense for those people going oh, I've heard about AI, I've heard mm. about machine learning, but really, what does it actually mean? Sure, with pleasure. So I think a brilliant example of some work that we're doing right now at Signal is the work we're doing with G7 governments around vaccine hesitancy, which is obviously an incredibly important topic and was released recently at the, the G7 summit. And essentially what we're doing there is we're taking 15 years' worth of survey data where people have shared what their fears and concerns are around taking vaccines 
And then we've combined that with both traditional media and social media sentiment about what the public and the media are talking about in relation to vaccines. And then we've tied that together even further with whether people actually go and, you know, complete their appointments that they have to take their vaccines. And we're marrying these different data sets up and then using the AI to be able to unearth the correlations and, and the impact of how the media can affect confidence and hesitancy around vaccines, which you know is, of course, an incredibly important topic right now. A more kind of corporate commercial example is perhaps the work that we're doing with Ernst & Young right now. And this is with EY's audit division. And audit, as I'm sure your listeners might be aware, is under huge amounts of pressure from regulators who are expecting organizations to be able to measure non-financial metrics as part of the, the audit process. EY did a huge amount of research and they found a correlation between trust in a business and your likelihood of financial performance on an ongoing basis. They've trained this framework for measuring trust into our machine learning models and then they evaluate and quantify performance of trust as part of that audit process. So for the first time, you're taking a very, very important but qualitative concept of how, how trusted is a business, uh, how trustworthy are they, and we're enabling an organisation like EY to measure that as part of their, their audit process. Does it matter? Because as I'm listening to you, it sounds you know that you need to understand artificial intelligence, you need to understand how to collect and collate and analyse data. Is that critical for you in the CEO spot, or is it more important that you understand a client's problem, whether it's a governmental problem or whether it's a, a, a business problem? I think everything starts with the question that we're trying to help our clients ask and then answer. And I think everything starts with trying to deeply understand the sort of business problems our clients face and then using the technology and the data to try and arm them with the insights to answer those questions more effectively and, and in a more sophisticated manner. So my knowledge of technology is limited. It's, you know, it's, it's there, but it's limited. But my, my understanding of the client's problems and their issues is fundamental. And the team, you mentioned the team and earlier you said you've got great people on your board. You've hired lots of good people over there. What's been the mantra for you in terms of, apart from the obvious, I give them the space to express themselves, we create a great environment. Yes. As you, as a first-time founder, I'm mm. now implying you're going to do this a million times, but let's just see, you're obviously sort of learning on the job, but you've learned a hell of a lot. What's the philosophy that David Benison has in terms of getting the best out of people beyond the obvious? Yeah, I think I think the values that we had, you know, back when we started the company in the in the garage have stayed with us. And, you know, initially those those were implicit values or kind of implicit construct for the way that we work with each other. And I think over time as the business has matured, we've had to make them explicit. But I think they're they're very key and core to the way that we operate, the way we collaborate as an organization and as a leadership team. And it all starts, I mean, you mention it kind of flippantly, but I I, I do think it all starts with an openness and a collaborative environment and a, and a trust uh, of individuals and an ability to give people the space to be autonomous and kind of create value for the company in, in their own image. I think that we have a an organization that was rooted in academic research, you know, and academic collaborations with universities. And that's where the best and most cutting edge work is still going on in this field. And so we've created an environment where we can bring academic research into a commercial context and apply it at scale. And that's still a kind of fundamental part of the way the business operates and how we create cutting edge uh, technology. And then I think we've taken that principle we were talking about earlier, this kind of pushing back on the status quo. We've matured that. It's not about being rebellious, but it is about not taking things for granted and, and creating an environment where whether you're a, you know, a graduate who's joined our company or the most senior person 
you know, running our finance function, that we have an opportunity to to push back on each other, to challenge each other, and to incrementally improve the business over time. It sounds like, mm. to those people listening to you now, that this has been easy. As in, you're incredibly articulate, you know, you've got a vision, you're clear about how people should be treated, you've got fantastic names of people working with you. Where have the difficulties arisen, and what kind of difficulties have they been, and what have you done to overcome them? Because I'm sure that it has not been plain sailing. No, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, often uh, as you go back and describe uh, the history of the company, it all sounds like it was one straight line. And of course, there were many, many twists and turns and challenges, and I'm sure many challenges that remain. And I think, you know, what's been fascinating, but also enthralling about running Signal and building this company is almost at every chapter, and there have been various, the set of challenges that await you have been incredibly different and incredibly challenging. And, and that's what makes the whole, the whole process fun, actually, because you have to learn and adapt and evolve if you're going to survive. I mean, I think a few things that spring to mind, I remember very early doors, before we'd even gotten going when we were in the garage, we didn't have a product. I mean, we had a printer. We built an algorithm that could classify news documents. And so we didn't have a user interface for that product. We used to print off articles from the printer to make sure that they actually married up with what the algorithm thought the news articles were about. And I remember the first time we trained in it, an algorithm that could spot within news content executives moving jobs. And I remember every piece of paper that came out of the printer was about an executive moving jobs. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, I've, I've quit my job and joined, you know, started this company in the windowless garage for a purpose because this algorithm uh, has got it right. And, you know, I remember before we, when we had our first couple of clients, we, we had no pricing. And I remember we had this kind of Wolf of Wall Street financial services client who worked for this asset management firm. And he phoned us up and he said, all right, I want to sign up for 12 months. How much does it cost? And I said, look, I better call you back in, in 10 minutes. So I turned to Miguel, my co-founder, and I said, how much should we charge him? And he said, I don't know, £1,000 a month. And then I turned to my other co-founder, Wes, and he said, no, 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 that's far too cheap. Charge £3,000 a month. So then I got on the phone with this Wolf of Wall Street character and I said, it's £10,000 a month. And he said, fine, I'll sign up for, for 12 months. Put the phone down. I said, damn, we should have charged him £30,000 a month. So, you know, back then we, had, we, we didn't have a, you know, a product fully developed. We didn't have a pricing model. You know, we were just a couple of, of individuals in a garage trying to figure things out. But, you know, I think through, through that kind of ring of fire, mm. you know, both you galvanize as an organization and as a team, but you also, you learn to focus and you learn to get close to your customers and you learn to ensure that the technology that you're building really meets their needs and answers the, the, the questions effectively for them. And so those are, you know, those are a few mm. examples. There's been many more. I'm um, sure, but th yeah. that sounds like fun as well. I mean, yes. frankly, to go from one to three and then you say, you know what, I'm just going to go for it at 10. <laughs> How do you ensure you keep that fun and that flavor? And you mentioned in your values, you said, you know, we want people to challenge the status quo. Are you the person that stands up every day and says, no, I know we've got this accepted way of doing it and it seems to be working, but we're going to push again. Is that right? Who in the room thinks it's not right? I mean, is that the way you do it? No, I mean, phenomenally, we now have a culture where, that, where that's happening right across the board. And, you know, like many technology and software businesses, we have a relatively flat and egalitarian culture. I think that enables us to move very rapidly and, and make decisions fast and break things and fix them and, and learn and, and iterate thereafter. It's enabled organizations like mine through the pandemic to, to respond very, very rapidly. You know, unfortunately, while many organizations and individuals were struggling dramatically during this period, both Signal as a business and many of our peers were, were accelerating. And I think that was partly because of the nature of what we provide to our clients, which at times of crisis is, is arguably never more needed. But also, I think just the, the way we set our businesses up 
that sort of mindset and mentality of, of challenging the status quo, of continuously iterating what we're building, of being non-hierarchical and small teams that are self-organized enables us to, to move rapidly, make decisions fast and respond to challenges effectively. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today, Devin Bennigson, and we've got a Kurt Elling cover of a U2 classic. That's in just a moment here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. David Benningson is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. David, you have a business which is all about AI. It's predicated on it working. At its best, it does really positive things, artificial intelligence. And at its worst, it's a monster. Mm. Or at least people would say that that is a question that we need to be grappling with. And indeed, of course, there are lots of ethical questions that are surrounding this area. You have had a TEDx talk, I think, on partly on the dangers of AI, or the, mm. the is it really as threatening as people believe it is? Where are you now on this? And is it one of those, yeah, it's interesting and I'll talk about it from time to time, or does it trouble you more than that? Yeah, I have a slightly contrary view of this topic, and, and I think we're, we're grappling right now as a society with, with huge amounts of hype and hyperbole related to, to, to this topic of artificial intelligence. And we have everyone from kind of technology celebrities like Elon Musk to our, our prime minister here in this country, you know, saying mattresses will monitor our nightmares. And I think there's a danger of moving to a world of uh, negative propaganda related to this to this topic. And I actually think the challenges, but, but also the opportunities are far more subtle than that. I mean, I think this age of what I call augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence, is actually upon us right now. You know, when we open our phones and we order a cab or we, we shop online, in our business lives, uh, this technology is, is kind of seeping into into every corner. And so I think that age is actually upon us right now. And that, that doesn't mean the challenges aren't as complex that we need to grapple with, ethical or, or otherwise. Mm. But I think it's quite different to this kind of Terminator view that it perhaps has been presented in, in other aspects, which I actually, from what I see at the kind of coalface, is still very, very far, far off. And I think that the possibilities of augmented intelligence are actually incredibly exciting when we think about, you know, the medical industry and the ability to augment doctors to make better decisions to spot cancer faster. Or we think about security and intelligence and the ability to get ahead of terrorism or, or other threats to countries and the, and the general public. Or when we think about our business lives and, and the context that we operate in at Signal, where we're using this technology to, to not replace how business leaders make decisions. And again, that's that's very far, far, far away, but actually augment these business leaders with the data that they need to be informed to get ahead of risks, issues, and, and spot opportunities faster and more effectively. Now, assuming you can do all that with your augmented intelligence and you can help businesses do that and your revenue grows from £7 million or whatever it is up to twenty, and perish the thought that a tech business starts to make a profit. And of course, we know how long Amazon took before it made a profit and they're very profitable now. Where are things going to go for you, David? In simple terms, what does the next three to five years look like so that your investors get a return, you become super famous as the hero that brought AI to an augmented intelligence to businesses, and the big P word, the profit word, happens in your business? What's going to ensure you can do all of those things? Yeah, I think this this ongoing focus on solving our customers' problems in the most sophisticated and, and fundamental way that we can. You know, the business is growing very, very rapidly. Today we service over 600 companies around the world, some of the largest organizations and governments. The business is scaling internationally, which is an exciting area of growth for us. So we launched in the US a few years ago. We've grown that uh, team rapidly, and there's still huge amounts of kind of greenfield in front of us in that market. We also launched in APAC in Hong Kong and other areas of, 
APAC that are very, very exciting to us. So, you know, we're not particularly focused on, on exit. We're just fundamentally focused on growth and customer value. And I, I think the, the business is very profitable on a unit economic basis. That's one of the beauties of software as a service. The gross margin is very high. The economics work really well, but we've chosen to fund and accelerate growth as opposed to uh, focus on profit at this particular point. But I think as the, the business continues to scale, that's very much in our in our line of sight and, and something that we believe we can achieve in the, in the coming years. Will you also be able to achieve continuing to be a renegade? Absolutely. You know, and I think that, that will remain an important part of our culture. It's certainly a part of my character and personality, so I don't imagine it going away. But I think it's about applying it effectively mm-hmm. to be able to challenge the business, challenge myself, and in some ways challenge our clients and the, and the wider market. You're in danger of sounding very mature, David. I'm, I'm, su- I'm super <laughs> nervous. It's been great talking to you. Really, really good stuff. And the Thank business you. has gone from strength to strength, even you know in the last few years. Extraordinary growth. Well done. Thank you for having me. We'll be back. No, it's a pleasure. And just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So my song choice is Herbie Mann, uh, Coming Home Baby. And actually, whilst I'm in this uh, kind of business and technology world, my two siblings are both artists. My sister finished a PhD at Oxford recently in fine art. My younger brother is a painter and a big saxophonist and a, and a huge jazz fan. And he introduced me to this song and we've, we often listen to it together. That was Herbie Mann with Coming Home Baby, the song choice of my business show today, the first of the new season, David Benningson, a person who inherently challenged the status quo and continues to do so, a person who's created an organisation that is flat, that can also ensure that people can challenge the status quo within it, allying himself to academic research, the critical nature of robust understanding of things. And finally, a vision of the future, which is an augmented one, where intelligence is both artificial and human. Really good stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.